Hi, Suspect listeners. Welcome back to another episode, another week. I took the last, I don't know if it's two or three weeks off. If you hear anything in the background, by the way, guys, that's my dog moving around. Sit still, please. Um, I took like the last two or three weeks off. Um, took a little break just to get, you know, my mental health back on mental health. I sounded so country when I said that my mental health back on track, um, had some things happen within the last two or three weeks that I, you know, as people, sometimes I feel like we have to make the decision just to step back and prioritize our mental health and making sure that we're okay before anything else. So that is what I decided to do. So just I guess the main thing that I can tell you, Kilo, please stop, lay down. Just the main thing that I guess that I can tell you guys that happened within like the last two or three weeks is that I lost my job. So um, that was like the biggest thing for me that was like really weighing on me. It was, you know, obviously it's hard to think about losing the place that you get your paycheck from. So Um, Had to figure some things out, decide what I was going to do, decide if I was just going to take some time off before I got back to it or if I wanted to get right back to it. So, yeah, nothing bad happened if you're listening to this. I did not do anything bad. I'm still going to be babysitting for them and still hoping to be involved in both of the kids' lives. So nothing like that. You guys know that just, you know, a job is a business transaction. And when that transaction is complete, you have to find another one. So nothing but great things to say about both of the families that I nannied for. They're really sweet. I love all of them. They're like family to me. And of course, of course, I love their children more than anything. So Yeah, that is something that happened. So moving forward, I am looking into different options. Um, Probably going to do a bit of a career change, just ready for something different in general. So yeah, you guys be manifesting that I find hopefully exactly what I'm looking for. (laughs) Um, I've applied to a bunch of different stuff and I've had a couple different interviews. So just going to keep pushing forward with that. But that is a big part of the reason why I decided just to step up for a few weeks. It's crazy that I stepped back um, for a few weeks, honestly, because I already have like three cases of notes done. I just haven't recorded at all. So I've just been reading over these notes, making sure I'm up making sure that I'm good on all the information that I'll be explaining to you guys. So it's been a little bit of like a break and a study period for me, really. So it's been really nice. I've been sleeping in um, way later than I should have. I feel like I'm on, honestly, summer vacation with how late I've been sleeping in. Like, I slept until like 2 p.m. the other day, and I felt a little childish when I woke up, but also like... I haven't slept that long, gosh, probably since like high school, literally during summer vacation. So yeah, it was nice. It's been nice just cleaning up and getting my life back in order. Um, Yeah, that's, I guess, the biggest update that I have for you guys. So knowing all that, if you want to buy something from the Suspect Podcast website, go check out suspectpodcast.com. You can buy some merch, some stickers, a beanie 
all kinds of different stuff on there. Definitely um, go check that out if you're able to um, support the unemployed. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I will figure it out. I'm very positive and know that the universe is looking out for me and I am divinely protected. For any of you listening, you guys should tell yourself that every day and watch how your life changes. Other than that, I'm trying to think of what else is new that I can talk to you guys about. I haven't really been watching any new TV shows. Um, For those of you that know me, and if not, I'm going to talk about this now, but I am, like, the biggest Bachelor and, like, Bachelorette fan, and I am always so embarrassed to tell people that because I feel like the reputation the show has is just, like, cringy reality TV, and realistically, like, that is what it is, but um, I started watching, hey, please stop. I started watching that when I was like literally like 13 years old with my aunt. Like I had spent the summer in Indianapolis and she watched that when I was younger and we watched it and I've been stuck on it for like 11 years now. It's the stupidest thing. So um, if any of my listeners watch that, we can definitely have a conversation about that anytime. I'm down to dive in deep. (laughs) Um, But oh, I did start watching Love Island. So I'm sure a lot of you listening to this have probably watched at least one of the versions there's like a bunch of them now and they're still coming out with more I think but there's a UK US and Australia version and I've watched some episodes from all three of them but the Australia version is my favorite those Australians are so entertaining to watch they have like no filter they're just like I fucking love them I fucking love them Australia season one is like the best one that I've watched so far So if you guys haven't seen Love Island Australia season one, go watch that. Super petty. Love it. Love it. Um, We're coming to the end of The Bachelorette. Next week is the finale. If any of you listening to this, watch that. Let's talk about it. Who do you think is going to win? Fuck Greg. Am I right? Fuck Greg. Literally fuck Greg. Um, And then, yeah, we have Bachelor in Paradise coming up. Crime shows. I haven't watched any crime shows recently. Like I said, I was taking a break. So that like included anything, anything that would make me feel like any kind of way, I guess is the best way to put that. Like, so I stayed away from all of that um, for these last couple weeks. So I don't have anything to share with you guys about any crime stories. I know I'm slacking. I'm getting back with the program. Cut me some slack. But I do want to watch the Kurt Cobain um, documentary that I believe is on, gosh, I want to say it's either Amazon or Apple TV. I don't remember. I know it's newer, but my friend Rachel watched that and she said that was really good. And then I listened before my little hiatus. I listened to a couple Kurt Cobain podcasts that were really, really good. So definitely want to check the documentary out. If you've already seen that, let me know how it is, I guess. I'd love to know. (laughs) So again, any of you listening, if you haven't checked out the website, that's suspectpodcast.com. Go check out any of the merchandise. If you have any ideas, shoot it to me in the Instagram DMs. That's at suspectpodcast on Instagram. If you have not already left a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, please take literally 15 seconds out of your day to go do that. 
really, really helps me out. I say that every podcast, but nobody is doing it except for a couple of people. So please literally take 10 seconds to go do that. Or if you, I don't know if you guys can rate on like Spotify or whatever, but do that as well. But Apple podcast is like the big podcast platform where if you get pushed on there, they push you everywhere else. So that's very, very crucial for the growth of suspect. So please take 15 seconds to go do that. I would greatly, greatly appreciate you. And yeah, any kind of case recommendations, anybody that wants to be on as a guest, anybody that has a crazy story, send those over to suspectpodcast1 at gmail.com and I will get back with you and we can network in some way. I'm all about networking. So any kind of networking ideas that you guys do have, please reach out to me um, through that suspect podcast email address, or you can also find me on LinkedIn. If you want to network there, Katie Kennedy, I have all my information on there. Suspect is linked on there as well. So it should be relatively easy for you to find. Let's connect. So the case that we're going to be discussing this week is actually, like I said, I've been sitting on these notes for a while. I am so sorry that I'm slacking. Um, but it, it's actually the Pulse nightclub shooting. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it was an attack on the LGBTQ community back in 2014, or not 2014, shit, 2016, I'm so sorry, 2016 um, in Orlando, Florida. And most of you listening by now should know that I'm from Florida. So this hit really close to home. Like I remember literally the day this happened, like, so crazy, but Orlando is about probably two, two and a half hours from my hometown, Jacksonville. So really not far at all. If you're from Florida, especially the Jacksonville area, Orlando is somewhere that you go like once every month or once every two months. Like you go there pretty often because that's where like Disney and like Universal and all that kind of stuff is. It's like the really touristy area of Florida. So any of my Florida natives, my Floridians know that Obviously, Orlando is very, very close to home. Anything that happens there literally feels like home. So, like I said, I remember the day that this happened. I wanted to talk about this during Pride Month, but with everything going on, I did not get the chance. I got the notes done, but I was not able to actually sit and focus on recording. So, to my LGBTQ community, I'm very sorry about that, but I'm getting it done. I still want to make people aware Let's go ahead and dive into the Pulse nightclub shooting. Since its opening in 2004, Orlando's Pulse Dance Club had established itself as one of Central Florida's most vibrant centers for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer social life. On the night of the attack, the club was hosting its popular Latin night, which was an event that drew from a broad cross-section of the community, primarily those of the Latino and Hispanic communities of Orlando, Florida. On June 11, 2016, Pulse was hosting Latin Night. About 320 people were still inside the club, which was serving last call drinks at around 2 a.m. on June 12. At around the same time, Omar Mateen arrived at the club with a rental van. He parked it in the front of the parking lot of a neighboring car shop, he got out and he walked toward the building, armed with a semi-automatic rifle and a 9mm Glock 17 semi-automatic pistol. He was wearing a green, blue, and white plaid dress shirt. 
a white t-shirt underneath, and tan cargo pants. At 2.02 a.m., Mateen bypassed Officer Adam Gruller, a uniformed off-duty Orlando Police Department officer working extra duty as a security guard at the club. He entered through the building on its south entrance, chuckling and declaring allegiance to the Islamic State and began shooting people. Almost immediately, Adam Gruller engaged in a gun battle with Mateen before withdrawing in the face of superior firepower. Gruller requested assistance, and within minutes, at 2.04 a.m., additional police and emergency personnel arrived on the scene and began carrying victims to an erected triage across the street, while two officers assisted in a firefight against Mateen. In response to this, Mateen began moving deeper inside the nightclub, firing into anybody that he saw, whether they were dead or alive. Mateen would fire 16 times into one of the closed bathrooms in which people and club goers were hiding, killing two and wounding several others. In total, Mateen fired over 200 rounds from his semi-automatic rifle in less than five minutes into the club, only pausing to reload his weapon. Mateen minutes later entered a bathroom in the nightclub's northwest side and opened fire on the people who were hiding there, wounding several people. Mateen minutes later entered a bathroom in the nightclub's northwest side and opened fire on the people hiding there, wounding several. Patience Carter was injured by two bullets to her leg and struck with flying pieces of a wall hit by stray bullets, while a deceased person would later fall on one of Patience's injured legs, trapping her. Patience had taken cover inside a single bathroom stall with others, including her friend Tierra Parker, who was 20, who was shot in the side, and Patience's cousin, Akira Murray, 18, who was shot in the arm. It wasn't real to me yet. I was still Snapchatting after we had squeezed into the stall, Carter said. Bodies were piled up on top of the toilet seat, she said. There were handprints on everything and blood. She looked next to her and saw Tierra Parker sitting with her cousin, lifeless in her lap. I asked, what's wrong with Akira, Carter said. The man next to them took Murray's pulse and said that she was still alive. I saw her phone, so I picked it up because I thought I would be able to give it back to her once we got to the hospital, Carter said as she began to cry. Akira Murray passed away from her injuries. Her mom told me not to blame myself, but it's hard. Which is just like, that's just like so hard, right? Because this is something we hear a lot, like in crime cases or any kind of death, like in really like people blame themselves in situations like this. And like, you tell them not to, but realistically, like grief is like a weird thing. Everybody like responds to grief differently. And for most people, that's the easiest way to get over it is just to take all the blame. But it's like heartbreaking because she couldn't have predicted, obviously, like that that was going to happen. So it just sucks. That's so sad. Shortly later, after switching to his Glock 17 pistol, after his semi-automatic rifle jammed, Mateen would later be seen telling Patience Carter that he did not have a problem with the Black community and that he, and that he was doing what he was doing to get America to stop bombing his country, even though he was technically born in the United States. 
Mateen had multiple conversations with the remaining people in the bathroom, Carter said. People's phones kept buzzing and ringing and people were calling 911 and their families. Mateen told everyone to stop using their phones and told them to give the phones to him whenever he heard one go off. One time a phone went off and it was outside of the stall, Carter said. She assumed the person who the phone belonged to was no longer alive because Mateen kept demanding the phone and nobody was responding. Carter said she threw her phone out of the stall, even though it was not going off, so that he would not shoot them. Once the police came, gunshots ricocheted around the club, blowing open the bathroom wall and bursting the pipes, Carter said. The bathroom started flooding with water. I thought, if they don't get to me soon, I might drown in here sitting in this bloody water, she said. But she was able to push the dead body off of her leg and the debris off of her face. As she waited for the cops to arrive, Carter said she was ready to die. I made peace with God within myself. I said, God, if this is how I'm supposed to go, please take me. I just don't want any more shots. I don't want to feel any more pain. And Patience Carter actually ends up writing a story about this day and her experience and her grief. So I'm going to go ahead and read you guys this poem. It is pretty moving. The guilt of feeling grateful to be alive is heavy, wanting to smile about surviving, but not sure if the people around you are ready. As the world mourns the victims killed and viciously slain, I feel guilty about screaming about my legs and pain because I could feel like nothing, because I could feel nothing like the other 49 who weren't so lucky to feel this pain of mine. I never thought in a million years that this could happen. I never thought in a million years that this could happen. I never thought in a million years that my eyes could witness so tragic. Looking at the souls, leaving the bodies of individuals, looking at the killer's machine gun throughout my right peripheral, looking at the blood and debris covered on everyone's faces, looking at the gunman's feet under the stall as he paces, the guilt of feeling lucky to be alive is heavy. It's like the weight of the ocean's walls crushing uncontrolled by levees. It's like being drugged through the grass with a shattered leg and thrown in the back of a Chevy. It's like being rushed to the hospital and told you're going to make it when you laid beside individuals whose lives were brutally taken. The guilt of being alive is heavy. Okay, so over the next 20 minutes, a portrait of the events inside Pulse were relayed to emergency service operators, police dispatchers, and social media outlets. Callers reported hearing additional gunshots as Mateen moved through the club, and survivors took to Twitter and Facebook to recount their experiences. At 2.35 a.m., Mateen placed a call to 911, at which point he professed his allegiance to the Islamic State. Police reported that they had surrounded Mateen in the bathroom area, and the posture of law enforcement response shifted from an active shooter engagement to a hostage situation. Over the next hour, Mateen spoke with negotiators three times, staying on the phone for a total of twenty staying on the phone for a total of twenty-eight minutes, while many gravely wounded victims remained inaccessible to rescue personnel. During these calls, Mateen claimed that he had placed a bomb in one of the cars parked outside 
and stated that he was wearing an explosive vest similar to those used by the 2015 November Paris attackers. Mateen also searched the internet for news coverage of the attack from his phone, and a federal law enforcement official confirmed that Mateen and his wife exchanged text messages at around 2.30 a.m. Afterward, she repeatedly tried to call him on his cell phone, the official said. The text between Omar Mateen and his wife, Zor Zahi Salman, during the attack of the Pulse nightclub were first reported by CNN. A source close to Salman said Mateen's mother called her around 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, waking her up and asking if she knew where Mateen was. Salman said she did not know, and she texted her husband, Where are you? the source said. Mateen responded, Do you see what's happening? Salman responded, No, question mark, according to the source. Mateen then responded, I love you, babe. Salman would attempt to call her husband back multiple times afterwards, but would receive no reply. Salman was later told what had happened about 4 a.m. when police called and told her to come outside of her house. She shared with Mateen with her hands up. At 4.21 a.m., police officers and trapped club goers succeeded in removing an air conditioning unit from the exterior wall of one of the club's dressing rooms, enabling a handful of survivors to flee to safety. Two of those survivors were Patience Carter and Tierra Parker. Those who escaped told police that Mateen was planning to place bomb vests on four hostages within the next 15 minutes and SWAT and hazard device teams prepared to breach the wall of the building with explosives. At 5.02 a.m., the police triggered the first of several... At 5.02 a.m., the police triggered the first of several controlled detonations before smashing through the walls of the... Before smashing through the walls of the club with an armored vehicle. Hostages poured out of the building and Mateen was killed after engaging almost a dozen police officers in a gun battle. After the standoff had concluded, investigators learned that Mateen's claim about bomb vest was a bluff, as no explosive devices were found inside the club. Fifty people died in the incident, including Mateen, and another 58 were injured, 53 by gunfire and five by other causes. Some survivors were critically injured. 39, including Mateen, were pronounced dead at the scene and 11 pronounced dead at local hospitals. Of the 38 victims to die at the scene, 20 of the 28 victims to die at the scene, 20 died on the stage area and dance floor, 9 in the nightclub's northern bathroom, 4 in the southern bathroom three on the stage, one at the front lobby, and one out on the patio. At least five of the dead were not killed during the initial volley of gunfire by Mateen, but during the hostage situation in the bathroom. This attack is the second deadliest mass shooting by a single shooter in United States history, behind the 2017 Las Vegas shooting. Before the Las Vegas shooting, the Pulse shooting has been the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. It is also the deadliest incidence of violence against the LGBTQ community in the history of the United States, surpassing the 1973 upstairs lounge arson attack and the deadliest terrorist attack in the United States since September 11 attacks in 2001.
So a little bit about Amar Mateen, not to really get too much into him, but just a little bit of his background. He was 29 years old, a U.S. citizen born in Queens, New York, to Afghan parents. At the time of the shooting, Mateen was married to his second wife, and he had a young son. From October 2006 until April 2007, Mateen tried to be a prison guard for the Florida Department of Corrections. He received an administrative termination not involving misconduct upon a warden's recommendation after Mateen joked about bringing a gun to school. Mateen unsuccessfully pursued a career in law enforcement, failing to become a Florida State Trooper in 2011 and to gain admission to a police academy in 2015. And to gain, hey, can y'all stop? And to gain admission to a police academy in 2015. According to a police academy classmate, Mateen threatened to shoot his classmates at a cookout in 2007 after his hamburger touched pork in violation of Islamic dietary laws. Other witnesses said that they saw Mateen drink alcohol and even get drunk at the time. Since 2007, Mateen had been a security guard for G4S Secure Solutions. The company said they had two screenings, one conducted upon hiring and the other in 2013 had raised no flags. Mateen held an active statewide firearms license and an active security officer license. He had passed a psychological test and he had no criminal record. After the shooting, the psychologist who reportedly evaluated and cleared Mateen for his firearms license in 2017 denied ever meeting or having lived in Florida at the time of the evaluation. And she said that she had stopped her practice in Florida in January 2006. GS4 Security Solutions admitted Mateen's forum had a clerical error, which is like, of course it did, and clarified that he instead had been cleared by another psychologist from the same firm that bought the wrongly named doctor's practice. This doctor had not interviewed Mateen, but evaluated the results of a standard test used in the screening he undertook before being hired. Which is just like, okay, sloppy, sloppy. Like, come on, you didn't evaluate him. You just looked over some paperwork. Like, okay, anybody can put anything on paperwork. Like, what? Let me take a sip of my truly after that. Jesus. In 2009, Mateen married his first wife, who left him after a few months. The couple's divorce became final in 2011. Following the nightclub attack, she said Mateen was mentally unstable and mentally ill and was obviously deeply disturbed and traumatized. She said that he was often physically abusive and had a history of using steroids. Mateen's autopsy did reveal long-term usage of steroids. However, as of July 15, 2016, federal investigators were uncertain whether as to Mateen's steroid use was a factor in the pulse attack. In May 2013, the FBI declared Mateen to be a person of interest and launched a preliminary investigation of him after he told coworkers at a security firm that he had ties to Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah. I probably did not pronounce either one of those correctly, and I apologize. I'm not good at pronunciation. The 10-month investigation ended with no charges being filed against Mateen, But the FBI questioned him in 2014 after an associate 
after an associate of his became a suicide bomber for a terrorist organization in Syria. Mateen later told a friend that he had been watching videos recorded by Al-Qaeda propagandists Anwar Anwar Al-Awlaki, and that friend notified the authorities. Like the first investigation, the second investigation yielded no actionable evidence, and it was closed. Mateen had held a Florida firearms license since 2007 when he began working as a security guard. Although his name has appeared in the FBI's terrorist screening database, also known as the terrorist watch list, while he was the subject of active investigations, it was removed from the list once the investigations were closed. In any event, his presence on that list would not have precluded him from legally purchasing firearms. And on June 4th, 2016, just eight days before this happened, Mateen bought the semi-automatic assault rifle. The following day, he purchased the Glock 17 9mm semi-automatic pistol. Both weapons were used in the Pulse attack. In the days following the attack, numerous people stated that they had recognized Mateen from various gay dating websites and apps, but the FBI was not able to verify those claims through forensic examination of his phone, his computer, or online account records. There was no evidence that he had been directed to make the attack by the Islamic State in Iraq or ISIS, and the declaration of allegiance that he had made to ISIS in his 911 phone call was just the latest in a series of contradictory statements along such lines that Mateen had made. So basically what they mean by this, him making contradictory statements, is that he was claiming to have ties to all these different organizations, but all these different organizations had a problem with each other as well. So he was saying, oh, like, I'm cool with ISIS, I'm cool with Hezbollah, I'm cool with the the Nusra front, and ISIS was fighting both of those other two organizations at the time. So he's just contradicting himself, saying that he has ties to all these organizations when realistically, like, it's not possible because they all have a problem with each other. That's like saying you're cool with the Bloods and the Crips. Like, it doesn't work like that. So that's what they mean by these contradictory statements. Mateen? Mateen's seeming inability to distinguish between these competing ideologies made his apparent self-radicalization no less dangerous, and it emphasized the threat posed by so-called lone wolf terrorists. On the day of the shooting, Mateen's father, Mer Mateen, said that he had seen his son getting angry after seeing a gay couple kiss in front of his family at the Bayside Marketplace in Miami months prior to the shooting which he suggested may have been a motivating factor in the attack. Tens of thousands of people attended public vigils and observances. Tens of thousands of people attended public vigils and observances around the world and landmarks such as One World Trade Center and the Eiffel Tower were illuminated in the rainbow colors of gay pride. U.S. President Barack Obama and Vice President Joe Biden met with survivors and the families of victims in Orlando, and Obama renewed his call for a legislative response to gun violence. He described the attack as both an act of terrorism and a hate crime, stressing that attacks on any American, regardless of race, 
uh, what the fuck is wrong with me? He described the attack as both an act of terrorism and a hate crime, stressing that attacks on any American, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, or sexual orientation, are attacks on all of us and the fundamental values of equality and dignity that define us as a country. And on June 25th, 2021, President Obama, President Biden signed a memorial bill to recognize the victims of the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting. Biden, who was vice president at the time of the attack, signed the bill to enshrine a monument to the dozens killed in the Latin night massacre. May a president never have to sign another monument like this, Biden said. And that is the Pulse nightclub shooting. I know that, like I said, for these last couple of episodes, I've just been like back to back with information. But with cases like this, like there's nothing to even try and joke about. Like it's just fucked up and we all need to be made aware of situations like this that have happened so that we can be intelligent, up to date and know these things. Like, I don't know why people don't, like strive to learn about shit like this. Like this is crucial to Americans, crucial to our country. Like this is history. We all need to know about this. That's why black wall street was so important to talk about why this is so important to talk about. And I don't know. I just really want to help you guys learn. And I enjoy learning obviously as I'm reading all this information, like, I mean, I always know a little basis of the case, but like to dive in and get like these details of like this many people specifically were killed, like to hear like the poem that we heard and hear this girl talk about how she watched her cousin pass away. Like those are the details. Those are what make it close to home, like make it hit close to home to where like you can take yourself out of your situation and like really feel for these people and really like feel their grief for a second not even to their level, but try to, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, that is a crazy, crazy case. Like I said, that was like two, two and a half hours away from my hometown. I literally remember when this happened. Uh, My mom actually called me while I was recording this and I had to pause it. um, And she was asking me what case I was doing. So I told her, and as soon as I said it, she instantly knew I was talking about, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. Like so crazy. the state was going crazy. It just awful, awful time. And obviously the LGBTQ community has had way more attacks than this, um, prior and after this. So we'll definitely, we'll be talking about more of those. I encourage you to go look up some of the attacks that this community has had on them just so you can educate yourself on this. Uh, But this was just, I know, obviously a major, major one that I wanted to talk about, especially since it was so close to my hometown. So if you guys are interested at all in donating to an LGBTQ community, um, to organization, I mean, if you guys are interested at all in donating to an LGBTQ community, donation fund. Um, I do recommend the hrc.org. You can find that website. It is an organization for the LGBTQ community. Um, The Human Rights Campaign envisions a world where every member of the LGBTQ family has the freedom to live their truth without fear and with equality under the law. They empower their 3 million members and supporters to mobilize against attacks on the most marginalized people in their community. So please check out that website, go donate, go 
read up on their website. They have lots of great resources and information for anybody who is interested in learning. And I know I definitely will be reading up on this and donating as well. I'm going to try to post an organization for really any kind of case that I talk about just because I do feel like it's crucial especially for those who are interested in one, helping, but two, educating yourself. Cause you don't even, if you're not able to donate, like you shouldn't beat up on yourself about that, but at least go educate yourself. Like that is something that you don't have an excuse for. So I really encourage all of you to go do that. Go read up on that. Go read up more on the Pulse nightclub shooting. If you have any other cases um, that you'd like me to cover regarding this community specifically, please send those to me if you're a part of this community and you have something that you want to discuss, something I could have said better on the case, please reach out to me. Um, yeah, that was obviously super crazy, but you guys, thanks for sticking around for another episode. I'm going to go ahead and end this quick. Hopefully we will have another episode out by the end of the week. Go check out the Instagram, check out the website shoot me an email, case suggestions, whatever you want to talk about. I am here. I hope that everybody is staying healthy with fucking COVID fucking coming back. I don't even know, bro. I don't even know. Back to back, literally with COVID back to fucking back. Stay healthy, spend time with your family, um, educate yourself. So it's always going to be my main three pieces of advice. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is episode 22 where We're going to make it to 50 (laughs) by the end of this year, I promise. (laughs) Maybe by the end of, we shouldn't set a goal. Maybe by the end of like October should be my goal for 50 or November. I don't know. I need to look at the calendar. Anyways, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next episode. Bye.